Hello there, welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Ed Draper with you, sports broadcaster in the UK. Coming up, we speak to Mark Lane, former England cricket player, all-rounder and Gloucestershire County cricket head coach and current coach in the professional game here in England as well, or Wales currently for him. But uh, look forward to that. Thank you first and foremost to you for listening to the podcast. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out BO underscore Cheltenham on social media or go into their beautiful store in the courtyard in Montpellier here in Cheltenham. Also want to thank Cytoplan for their ongoing association with the podcast. If you're looking to optimize your immunity, head to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk for their food-based supplements digested as food would be. The discount code associated with the podcast gets you 30% off your first purchase, 10% thereafter, and it is Draper10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals 10.0 and the capital letter R. And don't forget, we are so intent on helping you enjoy life. We've teamed up with the Whole Man Academy and arranged for some lucky listeners to get a 100% free mentoring session with Anthony Asprey, who's been on the podcast, friend of the podcast. And the idea is that you can talk through any issues, challenges you're going through, especially if you ever feel stuck, or not exactly where you want to be in life. Anthony charges good money for these usually, so it's great for him to give away free sessions, five of them each month with the podcast. The link is in the show notes, so go and sign up for that if it's something that interests you. Thank you for listening. Let's get on to the wonderful Mark Elaine. Here he is. Mark Elaine, welcome to Sport and Life podcast. How are you? Yes, I'm very good, very good. Loving life here. (laughs) Good stuff. It's typical, actually, because I was going to speak to you about the... um, the summer that we've had, and it must be one of the best on record for not having cricket cancellations, but typically it's now raining here in Cheltenham today. I'm sure it is down down your way nearer Bristol. What do you make of it though? It's been one of the best summers ever, hasn't it, for cricket weather? Yeah, it's it's been roasting hot, uh, to be honest. And and to be honest, the last four weeks or so, uh been involved in more of the short form game. So uh it's been it's been not too bad. We've been playing some day night floodlit fixtures, so it's been quite pleasant. How has it changed? Has it changed the conditions? Spin bowlers come into it more? The fact that I guess it's quite an unusually dry English weather. Yeah, um, uh, not so much, to be honest, because uh, like I said, I've been involved recently um, and still am in in the 100. Mm. And yeah, of course, spin bowlers are effective, but the the pitches are in pretty good shape. Yeah, I suppose the evening comes on, you get that dew Mm. and and things like Mm. that. So it makes it good for those, those fast bowlers. How would how you find the 100? What do you make of, of the 100? As I suppose as a, a cricket traditionalist yourself in, in ODIs and, and the county mm. game? Well, you know, first and foremost, um, I'm a cricket lover. So, um, yeah, I, I embrace uh, things like this, you know, um, just to keep it, keep the game fresh and alive. Um, but, of course, um, the four-day cricket is the, is the staple. And uh, I love to see us playing playing it we do play quite a lot of it so we're, we're not really restricted there and uh this summer of course uh that you know four played four one four test matches you know cricket's feeling feeling quite good at the moment yeah england got a test match coming up 
this week. What, what's your favourite format to watch if you were going to watch a cricket match now as, as a former player and, and coach? Um, interestingly enough, it, it, it is the longer format because when I, when I watch a game, I'm not watching for the result. I'm looking at individual battles on the pitch. Mm. And I think you get better battles in test cricket that than in um one day and short form cricket to be honest so yeah i find that uh, a little bit more interesting and mentally is that is that part of the appeal that the length of a cricket match that can go on at test level for five days that there's something different about that compared to other sports that you have to be relaxed enough to keep your energy for that long but focused enough when it when it counts exactly that it's one of the unique things about the game of cricket um you know, uh, looking at the test matches this year, you know, either side haven't really gone in front until pretty much the fifth day. Um, I know that is unusual, but, you know, the, the nuances of test cricket is, is really interesting uh, to uh, to the acute eye especially. But um, with the finishes that they had, it's also very, very palatable for, you know, those that are not, really into it i mean i think most people would have enjoyed the finishes of those games absolutely yeah they were so dramatic i think even more dramatic she had the days that preceded it so it's building up to a crescendo although we know sometimes it's not always the case and it, it can but no. then that, that's intriguing as well that it ends up in a draw or or whatever it whatever it might do what got you into cricket marks I, I know you're born in in tottenham looking at your, your wikipedia yeah. page in north london what what drew you to the sport um well, the short answer probably is parentage. Um, uh, I was born to two Barbadian parents who were living in London at the time. Uh, they took us back, when I say us, or family, back to Barbados when I was four years old. So I then grew up in Barbados in the 70s uh, and early 80s. Um, That's the time when cricket in the West Indies was at its pomp. Yeah. Uh, that's what everyone did in the Caribbean, and particularly in Barbados. So, you know, I just, yeah, played with friends. And that's just what you did. Every school break you had, you played cricket. Who was who your hero then? Because it was a rich era, wasn't it? Who was the hero for you as a kid? So um, you look back retrospectively, and, and there are people like Desmond Haynes and Gordon Greenwich who were opening the batting for Barbados, but also the West Indies at the time. Uh, I do remember kind of sneaking out of school to try and just watch an hour of cricket at Kensington Oval. Um, and I guess those are the guys that really kind of inspired me to to take the game up uh, a little bit more seriously, I would say. How difficult was it to leave Barbados as a kid after me living in a bit of a tropical paradise to come back to the UK? <laughs> well, at, at the time, it, it was quite easy. I, I came back to England when I was 15. Uh, but just prior to that, my elder brother, um, who um, was 18 at the time, he came back two months before I did to go to university. So coming to England was more of a, a, a reconnection with him um, than anything else. And, you know, that was the really exciting bit. And were you, um, get, he, were you getting into the county game at that stage? Were you being drawn into sort of serious cricket? No, no. I, I mean being a pro cricketer was nowhere near on my mind at that stage. I mean, really, I, I was thinking of um, how am I going to do well enough to get to uni? And um, I didn't have a cricket career on the radar at all at that stage. Um, 
But you know what? There was so much cricket available in England when I came. I, I was playing three, four times a week for about three, four different clubs and junior sides. And, you know, people in the Caribbean love cricket, but they didn't play as much as you do in England. <laughs> so um, I, I absolutely loved it. And it was the batting and the bowling, wasn't it? Was that kind of, they both appealed to you? Because it seems like even early on, cricketers can get an identity where they think I'm a bowler, I'm a batter, but you, you had both in your armoury. Well, this is where all your listeners in the Caribbean will be smirking and laughing <laughs> because as a junior, I was a batter wicketkeeper. Ah, yeah. Uh, when I came to England, um, when I first got my first contract with Gloucestershire at 17, I was still considered a wicketkeeper. And in fact, I, I even went on my first England tour as reserve wicketkeeper. Wow. So I only developed the bowling a, a little bit later on from bowling in the nets and, and looking to upskill myself. So that bowling, a, yeah. Slow burn. The bowling was a slow yeah, burn, was it? Yeah. Definitely, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's, it's, pretty, that's a, pretty... it's usually the other way around. Is it usually the other way around? I'm trying to think. Is it usually a bowler becomes a batter? I can't. I don't know this sort of sequence of most all-rounders. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I, I would say because everyone has to bat at some stage. So um, I guess even if you're a bowler um, at junior level, you might be a good enough cricketer to have a good, you know, to bat in the top six or something like that. So yeah. What all-rounders, one that always surprised me was Stuart Broad because he was billed as an all-rounder and didn't really become one. What, what's the key there? Do you think, is it psychology? Well, uh, apparently once again at school, I think he was like, an opening batter hmm. that kind of just bowled more and more as he got older. Um, yeah, there, there was, he, he can definitely bat and um, he contributes well at number eight, nine in his early days. But there, there was a there was a moment I think he lost a little bit of interest in batting at one stage, and he just became you know he just counterattacked everything. Uh, he didn't get in line too much, and uh, I think he really lost the the real heart for batting. But he looks as though he's re, um, revived that somewhat with mm. a little bit of a batting license from uh, Brendan McCullum. Yeah, he's very tall as well, isn't it? Is that it's difficult to bat when you're what six six? Is it maybe it's harder? I, I don't know. I don't know what the perfect perfect size is for a, a batter. Well, uh, a lot of the top batters are, are quite diminutive. Um, mm. They tend to have, a, a, I guess, a better balance, low centre of gravity at the crease. But tall batters can have good levers as well. So mm. um, when they strike the ball, it stays hit. So um, there is some slight advantage there as well. Do you do you think if you hadn't been in this sort of timing of being in Barbados at that time when the West Indies were so amazing at, at cricket, so many heroes to look up to, do you think you would have done something else potentially if it hadn't have been for that that influence? Uh, possibly, um, because even then, you know, um, I had a dabble at, at all sports really. Um, played a bit of basketball, football. Um, uh, oh. I thought I was going to be an accountant <laughs> when you? I was 14, 15, yeah. Um, and that's what I had my head around when I when I came back to England at 15. I thought when I go to uni, bit of chartered accountancy, um, I thought that's what I was heading. Wow. Do, you never thought about taking that up after the game? <laughs> not, not in that particular um, uh, retrospect. Um I did go back to uni uh, to do a, a master's in business um, at the University of Bath. Um, but yeah, the, the candidacy thing kind of faded away. 
Yeah, oh, fair enough. And it's probably once you live that exciting lifestyle, it might be harder yeah. to get your Excel sheet out every day and, and run through <laughs> numbers and all those other other aspects to it. How difficult was it to play for England with your roots in Barbados? Or was it because it seems like nationality in cricket is quite fluid, isn't it? Some of the best England players have been from overseas, even Kevin Peterson, most recently, Andrew Strauss, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, it's not something I thought about at the time. Uh, once again, kind of retrospectively, when you finish your career, you look back and think, you know, things just happen. Um, uh, I was born in England, you know, um, even though my formative years were in Barbados, you know, I still had a real strong connection uh, to England. And as I was playing young cricket, uh, played England on the 19s, I never remember once thinking, oh, should I really be doing this or or, or the other? So, um it's not something that I had a second thought about, really. Did you ever play the West Indies in a game? Yeah, um, yeah well, twice. I, I played for Gloucestershire v West Indies, but also I captained um, an England Lions side that played in the first-class West Indies competition, um, which was uh, um, something they were trying to get the, the Lions team to, to play in overseas conditions. So we played in their first class competition for a whole season. Uh, and that, that was good fun. That must have been. Yeah, that was a good trip. Did, did the, the rest of the team enjoy that, I'd imagine? Yeah, very much so. Um, so it was a time around, um, I guess, uh, Ian Ward, Alex Tudor, uh, those guys, um, as a consequence, got selected into the main England side after a string of uh, good performances out in the Caribbean. Brilliant. And you were Gloucestershire captain as well, and then you became coach. As for the captaincy, how proud a moment is that to be asked to be a captain in cricket? Because it seems more significant than other sports. Yeah, I mean, here's the Caribbean link again. I was touring with a, with a social side this time. Uh, I remember being in Grenada. Uh, this was, I think, 1997. Um, I believe Jack Russell was offered the captaincy, but it didn't quite work out. And I got a phone call asking if I would consider doing it. Mm. Uh, course jumped at the chance I, I loved it I I've always been captain throughout my school teams um uh took to it love being involved in fact it's one of the main reasons I kept wicket in my younger days is that I always wanted to be involved in the game so the captaincy always gave me that opportunity to be invested in every single ball and uh, I loved it what what are the key elements to being a, a captain because as you say you've got your own game to worry about but then you have to be across everyone else's as well yeah, well, I mean, the advantage is um, you don't get to stew on your own game too much. <laughs> um, you, you know you can impact the game if you can help people around you. Um, and after all, I, I think impacting a game is is the key thing in cricket. I know it's littered with individual stats and everything, but uh, when people look back at their careers kind of retrospectively, I think they would prefer to to have impacted a lot of uh, wins and series uh, rather than their, their personal data. Um, that's far, far more satisfying. And how much has being a captain informed you in, in wider life? Because this podcast is called Sport and Life and I'm desperately trying to seek the lessons from sport, apply them to, to wider life. Are there aspects to it, do you think? Decision-making, getting on with people, leading people that help you in, in everyday life? Uh, massively. Uh, and there's so many principles that I've taken from captaincy and applied it to the rest of my life. Um, obviously, uh, 
but you realize how important people are around you, um, how important relationships are around you. Um, and you, you take time to, to understand people and invest time in, in developing that rapport with people because it can make a difference selfishly to you uh, and to make things a bit easier for you, but equally to make um, the whole situation a, a lot more fluid and, and easier to handle. And, and you do realise how different people are. So you mm. learn different skills um, to try and uh, collaborate with different kinds of personalities. And it's, it's a lot of fun, um, kind of boxing and cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do, you, do you have to sort of flare up with someone and be easygoing with another person, compassionate, sympathetic? How, what range are there? Because there's a sort of a modern thing where everyone wants a softly, softly conversation. But do you think there's still a place for a bit more sort of authoritative approach? Yeah, definitely. Some guys still like it as it is. Just tell me, just tell me. I don't want to really discuss and hear all the soft stuff. Just tell me what I need to do next and I'm going to do it. And it's as straightforward as that. Some do like to, you have to build them up a little bit and, and, and be a bit more softly. But I guess that's the skill of the individual to try and find out who prefers which learning style and, um, you, you get that from developing a, a good relationship with people. How important is listening, do you think, in cricket and life generally? Oh, massively. Um, I think I fall on this quite easily because I actually rather listen than talk. Um, if people will ask you about me, they'll say, oh, he's quiet. He's a very quiet guy. But I don't feel I'm quiet. I always feel engaged um, when I'm with people. Uh, but I like listening to what people have to say. Um, and I'm not massively influenced by what other people think of things. I just like to get my own information and uh, I trust what I get is what I prefer to use rather than uh, external information. Yeah, because there's a, there's a premium on what you say, isn't there? And I suppose you don't want to say too much worthless stuff because people tune out at that point. Well, yeah, you, you always think, you know, sometimes I think I, I'm not that interested. <laughs> interesting. I, I'm more interested in, in you and what you've got to say. You know, my, don't worry about me. You know, um, you know, I, I'm pretty simple. Not not a lot going on really. But um, my interest is definitely in other people. Do you think a lot of the cricketers' challenges they sort of know the answer to what the challenge may be if it's a batter or a bowler, and perhaps you're just steering them into that kind of introspection that they need to maybe make the next step. Oh, most do, most do. In fact, I've used it more than once. Um, <laughs> I've got a group together and said, you know, right, we're going to get some experts in about the game. And they're all looking at their entrance doors and hoping that someone might walk through the door. And the story, the expertise is in the room already. Most uh -huh. of them, and they do. Um, a lot of it is lying dormant somewhere within themselves and they're not comfortable to express it. But a lot of these guys have been in so many cricketing situations and teams and experiences. I, I would be very surprised if you can get a group of 11 cricketers together and don't come up with something pretty special. Yeah, that is powerful, isn't it? I think often when people ask you the right question yourself, you you find an answer to a problem that you've been you've been wrestling with perhaps was there, yeah. but you, you for some reason didn't know the the pathway to, to access it. It's funny that people say you're quiet because we met recently 
at Gloucestershire Gypsies cricket dinner, the this hundred well centenary of Gloucestershire Gypsies, hundred and fifty yeah. years of Gloucestershire county cricket playing at Cheltenham College in the beautiful grounds there. And I wouldn't strike that, but I struck, it struck me as this very relaxed, very you know self self regulated, content. And I wondered about the state that you need to be in cricket. And as a batter and a bowler, do you need to change your emotional state? The bowlers have to be more aggressive, more upright and, and sort of in the face adversarial and then perhaps you switch or do you, are you, were you the same person throughout your various roles as a as a cricketer captain and, and then coach really good question probably a little bit schizophrenic really um definitely worse with the ball in my hand mm. um angry bowler i would say um i don't know if it's because it was the one skill i was less less best at I, I don't know what the reason is or the fact that I'm putting the ball into play as a batter I felt always felt calm uh, and in control um, as a captain as a fielder calm a bowler just dragged something out of me that I didn't know existed sometimes so you just switch if you're captain you put yourself into bowl would you just switch in that what the, the run up the, the walking <laughs> over to start your run up it was it's like a switch that you press yeah, I don't deliberately press it. It's like a, a self-pressing button. <laughs> it, it just happens. But um, interestingly, though, um, uh, uh, I was lucky enough to be in a team that I knew really well. And when I was bowling, I didn't um, take my captaincy away from myself. But I, I did get other guys to look, listen, I'm bowling now. Can you keep an eye? Jack Russell was really good at this. Mm. Can you keep an eye out on the field? And, you know, some of the peripheral stuff that I might miss when I'm bowling because I get so absorbed into my spell. And uh, curiously, I, I watched Ben Stokes, um, who's now obviously does it a lot better than I do, but a very similar skill set in that he's an all-rounder trying to captain England. Mm. And... Um, I try and look and see how he, he gets on with it. And uh, when, when he's bowling, it is quite difficult. Yeah, can you see a change in him, can you, that he's, he's more fired up uh, in, and more focused in that instant? I can't physically, I can't see a change, but I'm looking to see how, how the group are getting on. And um, yeah, it, it's a tough role he's got there. Yeah, how important is in that situation for you and you say Ben Stokes at that incredibly pressurised level, how important is energy management, how you do that physical energy, I suppose, over five days, but potentially your mental energy as well is, is key if you're going to be effective as a, as a leader on the pitch. Yeah, that, that, you know, even at that level, players are still looking at you, looking at your response. They want to know that you're still in control and um, I'm buzzing and taking it through, which he's done really well. The advantage, I, I guess, you have at England level is the resource uh, and England have got very good off-field resource um, to support the captains, uh, which is really important. There are a lot of people there doing some really good work just to make sure the captain and the rest of the team are buzzing and busy. How much fun was it to be a cricketer 20 years ago? And is it less fun now, do you feel? What's your, what's your take on it? Because of the, the spotlight, the, the camera phones, all that kind of stuff that people talk about. Well, firstly... Um, you know, 20 years ago, maybe answer. <laughs> uh, I haven't done the maths just yet. <laughs> um, once again, it, it is quite unique um, when you get, because of the length of the game, 
you do spend a lot of time with your teammates. Um, if you could think, you know, an away game against Lancashire, you're in Manchester together for four or five days, um, you're on field, you're in the changing room. A lot of these guys in the season can spend more time with their teammates than with family. Mm. So naturally, your team becomes a big part of your life, um, more so than any other sport uh, that I could think of. So I, I guess that's the fun bit, just making sure you choose the right team and the right teammates um, to to have a good time and some good success on the pitch. And the and the right family as well, I suppose. How? What's your advice to young players? Is it to hold off having a family until your playing days come to an end? Because it, it must be a huge challenge, just the time that you're away, as you say. Uh, it is. Uh, it's something I did. Um, I didn't really start a family until I knew I was about to retire mm. because I know the time away is is crippling. And, um, you know, some people might be able to get through it personally, but your partner and your young family, they might not have the same um, strength to get through it as well as you do. So it then becomes a, a real tough um, tough thing to, to try and work through. And um, it, you know, it, it's not easy. Uh, and particularly if you, some of those long international tours when you're away for two, two and a half months, you know, it is quite tough. Yeah, you can see that, can't you? Joe Root and Ben Stokes, you mentioned them, they've started young families. There must be a, a conflict and a, and a sort of confusion over where you should put your energy sometimes. Yeah, uh, very much so. Um, I guess that the just saving grace, these guys are so good at what they do. Um, uh, so financially, in a way, they're being compensated for that. But there was a time where that wasn't necessarily the case. Mm. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's the only real saving grace is that long term, they are looking after their family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as you say, and I think there's a different expectation maybe of, of men than even 20 years ago in terms of, of what you do at home. And and that, yeah. that that makes the energy levels more drained in different directions. You were the first black British head coach of a, a county championship team. How significant was that to you, Mark? Once again, I'll probably use this word quite a lot, retrospective, because at the time it happened, it, it's, it, it didn't feel like that. Um, I felt as though I earned the right to be head coach um, through being uh, a good, having good leadership skills, uh, understanding the game and knowing how to drive a team forward. Um, it's only the the kind of kind of sub headlines that, that kind of bring the bring it up that I'm actually a, a black head coach. I, I'm not mm. sure what that's got to do with how good I am at, at my job. But I, I guess I understand that the general rhetoric. So do, do I, you I, do you do you feel that's a reductive aspect of modern society that we're focusing on that too much again? I mean people argue we're trying to go forwards with it, but maybe we're we're sort of reducing people to skin colours and stuff more than we were maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, I do. And I I, I think I've I've always said, I think we'll, when we truly get through this, it wouldn't be a conversation. You know, people are still trying to organise their workforces um, kind of in coloured boxes. And uh, it, although it looks the right thing to do, it's not a comfortable place for, for anyone, really. Mm. Um, because the more opportunities people try to um, 
to carve up for black coaches, it must mean white coaches are missing out somewhere. Um, and then that's not necessarily a, a nice feeling for people that are, are working quite hard. So mm. I think essentially what we all want is, can you be confident enough just to get the best places, best coaches in place, irrespective? Um, what was your experience of that? Did you, did you feel it was fair process in the game? Because there's a lot of focus on, on Azim Rafiq, isn't there? That he felt discriminated against. It was more difficult for him coming from a, a South Asian background what, what do you, did you feel the game was fair to you well i think um the administration in cricket is still quite poor mm. um uh, and not just on on race issues uh, i think just general well-being the way they they release players the way they treat them i, I think administratively we, we still haven't got it quite right it's still a bit clumsy um and I would really like it to to get it get it sorted because when we do get that administration right, then I don't think you'll get the the color issues on whether you're you're black, Asian, or white. You you would find the best coaches really rising to the top and believing they will get an opportunity irrespective. And, and the clubs and the people that employ coaches or players, they should want the best people, shouldn't they? I mean that's. By nature, it's a competitive industry. Like any industry is competitive. It, it stands to reason that being fair and, and getting the, the best people actually makes sense. Yeah, and, and they do, but they're just lazy. They don't put <laughs> enough resource into recruiting the right people. I mean, it's getting a bit better now, but previously, most county roles were a convenience. You know, the clubs wouldn't advertise properly you know, if you stay around the place long enough, you can get a role if you knew the right people. Um, and it, it did feel as though it was a bit of a boys club, um, mm. uh, to be honest, uh, if you can just say that say the right things to the right people. I, I understand the recruitment processes are now being a little bit stricter. They're widening the net um, in terms of trying to get best in class. And I think mm. that, would do, that would be good for the game. Yeah, absolutely. And do they think that you need that in administration? Because where, where is cricket now? Do you feel it's it's challenged in this country, in the West Indies, by other sports in terms of recruiting young people? Is there a problem there? What's the grassroots state like? You know what? I don't think there's a problem. But okay. I, do know, I do know it's very, very competitive space because, you know, uh, you can just see in schools, it's no longer the, the big three sports that dominate things. You know, people are playing all kinds of sports now in schools and have access to... So naturally, the competition has gone up tenfold. So I, I wouldn't surprise me if every sport takes a little bit of a hit as, um, as the skill set gets spread out across a lot of different sports. And you also got music and um, mm. other areas that are being more proactive now in terms of recruiting uh, youngsters. So I think it, it's a good place for young kids because they've now got a lot more choice. And the fact they've got a lot more choice means that everyone's going to suffer a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, it is a challenge. Tell us about your kids and how much they've played cricket or not. What's that experience <laughs> been like as a, as a dad? So as a dad, my, my kids haven't played a lot of cricket outside of the back garden. 
uh, unfortunately. Um, we went to school in South Gloucestershire where there wasn't a lot of cricket available at school. Um, mm. I didn't necessarily try to get them into a club until I thought they developed a little bit of a, a love for it. They like playing sport. They like hitting balls, catching balls. But they, they got attracted to football um, a lot more. And they took that path quite early and um, did quite well at it. And, um, you know, I didn't think I, I should intervene. You know, they should just follow what they want to do, really. Tell, well, tell us about your boy who's who's got signed as a, a youth player, isn't he, at Manchester City? Well, yeah, he, he got signed as a youth player. He's now got a full pro contract uh, with, with Man City, um, which, you know, he, he got his first opportunity with Southampton Football Club who uh, do a bit of scouting and stuff in, in the Bristol and Bath area. And, um, yeah, he's been at Man City since he, well, it's his second year there. What, and, what's uh, his first, remind me of his first name. Sorry, I, I've slipped his name. His name is Max, yeah, Max Elaine. Um, and they, they really like what 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 he's got. Um, I, I don't know a hell of a lot about football, so I, I don't see the, the little kind of, idiosyncrasies that they love about him but you know they they watched him for a long while they produced 72 reports where they've been tracking him for a bit and um yeah uh, i hope he can now translate that into something bigger and better how does it feel to watch his career progression to watch the games does it compared to following your own career at the time is, is it more stressful less stressful what's the experience like okay so I think anything where you're not got ultimate control mm. <laughs> is always stressful. Um, in that respect, I'm glad it's a, a different sport because I I watch, but I can't watch with such an educated eye to be overcritical. Yes, um, I, I watch with dad eyes, and uh, I can see the good stuff, and uh, we can talk about it quite candidly. And he can tell me why he was doing certain things. And I, as a coach myself, I'm quite interested in how people react and engage with each other. And uh, I love all that kind of stuff. So I think it's quite healthy um, at the moment because I'm not uh, a football kind of guru. <laughs> um, and he's kind of educating me as he go along. And how, what advice do you give him about the way things have changed since your playing days with things like social media? Is, is he on there? Because presumably that becomes a challenge with you when you get bombarded by everyone's opinions potentially in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, they're pretty social media savvy um, at the moment. Um, believe it or not, they although they use it, you know, he is from the generation where it is just part and parcel of what mm. they do. It's it's probably more of a big deal for, for mum and dad who are like trying to get on every platform and go, ah. <laughs> so he, he, he's normally calming mum down. So please don't post that. Please don't put. So he's the one in control. <laughs> um, yeah, I know, I know Lou's, Lou, I met Lou as well, your wife, very dedicated to, to his career. I know she goes up to Manchester and, and keeps going yeah. as well. So she's, do, she's doing a great job. Well, look, yeah. good luck. Good luck with watching his journey. I think it's fantastic to get to that level. 
is phenomenal in the modern game. And to the club like Manchester City have won four of the last five Premier League titles. And it's early days, yeah. but look like they might be getting this one as well by the, the way they've started two wins from two at the time of speaking. That That's very impressive. I think your sort of relaxed style will, will come across well with, with your boy, certainly, and not putting too much pressure on him at, at that stage. And it's, it's fascinating. I just want to wrap up, Mark, by asking you, you say that cricket grassroots is in a good state, which is great to hear. If people are listening and have got young kids, what are the, the virtues, the qualities that you believe cricket develops, not necessarily as a career, but just the experience of playing? Yeah, so I think the the, the setup um, of, of the game, it's not like a normal kind of invasion sport where you go head to head on the pitch and then that's it, done. There's a lot of social space in and around the game in terms of interacting with people off the pitch, even during the game. Um, and then you have the, the one-to-one combat that some people need, bowler v batter, um, and then you've got the team stuff. So it's a game that has a little bit of, of everything, you know, to, to really get the, the juices going. And I think most importantly, socially, it's a, a really good game for, for youngsters to interact with each other and understand what it's like Um you know, to interact with, with people they don't know so well. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And for the, the dads and mums as well to sit there and have a chat on the side and, you know, in the sunshine, you know, especially this summer as well. Yeah. Because uh, as you may know, one of my roles, uh, I work at Marble College mm. and we, we play a lot of school sport and I, I do get it in, in the winter, winter term, a lot of parents and oh, can't wait to the cricket season, <laughs> you know, where I can sit down and have a cup of tea and, you know, Watching rugby, you know, the game's great, but, you know, you watch it in the rain and cold and then you go home and and they don't get the same interaction as maybe a cricket match where they, they walk around the ground and they bump into different parents and they say hi. And, you know, the whole thing is far more social and and, and easy, uh, I think, for, for some of the people. Yeah, you associate with that feeling of just watching it being warm and, and relaxed and not uncomfortable. Yeah. Whereas you say in the winter when you're, you're on the sideline as a parent watching football, rugby or whatever, and the rain's teeming yeah. down and you've got that shivering feeling. You're just waiting to get home and get yeah. a hot, hot coffee. It's a different experience. Mark Elaine, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Is there a way to follow you? We mentioned the dreaded social media. Are you are you active online? Uh, I should be more active. Um, uh, I'm I think I'm on Instagram, but I don't really work Instagram so much. So that that's kind of pretty level. I do most of my posting on on LinkedIn. Cool. Uh, um, and uh, I don't even know what my handles are. To be honest. <laughs> well, sure, I'm sure if you search Mike uh, Mark Elaine LinkedIn, you'll you'll come up with you yeah. for sure. M- so Mark- I've been doing a little bit of cricket stuff recently on there. Um, oh, brilliant! Yeah, but um, yeah. Oh, look at that. We'll we'll look that up. Mark, thank you very much for speaking to me. I really, really appreciate it. Not at all. Good to talk, Ed. Big thank you to Mark for his time. I think that's interesting, the virtues that traditional cricket, the longer formats, can encourage in terms of patience, discipline, focus, managing your energy, communicating with people. I think that's a lot of the reasons why we take up sport, play sport, regardless of how far you go with it. Let me know what you thought of that podcast. Any reviews on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to, to it on a positive, you can email hello at drapermedia.co.uk with your feedback and we'll try and get back to you. I'll try and get back to you as soon as possible. Thank you for listening. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, 
and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations online, BO underscore Cheltenham on social media, or their beautiful store is in the courtyard in Montpellier here in Cheltenham. Thank you also to Cytoplan for their ongoing association with the podcast. If you're looking to optimize your immunity through the supplements on offer at Cytoplan, whether it's a multivitamin, vitamin, or something specific like iron or vitamin D3, whatever you're looking at, head to cytoplan.co.uk. The discount code associated with the podcast, 30% off your first purchase, 10% thereafter. The code is DRAPER10R. My last name, D-R-A. P-E-R, all capital letters, numerals one zero, and the capital letter R. And if you're having a challenging time, just want some clarity, want to take advantage of a free mentoring session with Anthony Asprey of the Whole Man Academy, click on the link to book your session. Five of them available each month. That is in the show notes. And if you're looking to maybe record treasured memories, if you've got the idea of getting people's life stories down, if, you've, if you're intrigued by that, then Attic Box Audio may be something you're interested in. Check out atticboxaudio.co.uk, which you can access via drapermedia.co.uk, a venture we're looking into. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Go well and speak to you again soon.